Good morning. Again. <laughs> That's right. Well, happy Independence Day, everyone. Uh, Brother Jimmy come in all, all patriotic this morning. Well, he is very patriotic this morning. I agree to that. We made that discussion out there in the foyer. And what a blessing it is to live in this country, to be able to be considered to be living in a free country. Well, a passage of Scripture comes to mind with the idea of free. So if you will, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8 and verse 32. But to read verse 32, we're going to have to kind of read around it and read before and after it as well. As Jesus is making a statement here, to know that we can be free. Now this is not the freedom to do what we want as it is the freedoms we have in this country. This is the type of freedom that's most beneficial to our judgment day scene. It's beneficial, I say this, why? Because we can be free from our sins. We can be free from the shortcomings that, again, we're going to read in Isaiah 59 that separates us from our God. What a horrible thought that would be to stand before our Heavenly Father in judgment to be separated from Jesus Christ. That's terrifying. I can't think of any more terrifying scenario than that one right there. So as we've opened to John chapter 8, Begin reading with me in the 31st verse. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And then verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And there's, there's the verse we're going to focus on, verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You see there that Christ makes the example of committing sin and being a slave or a servant to sin. He is speaking of being free from our sins. We do remember in, uh, well, I just drew a blank. John 3.16. Wow, I just, I had the verse and, the, and the, the chapter wouldn't come to me. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those believing him should not perish, the idea of condemnation, but have everlasting life. This idea of heaven, this idea of, of pleasing, this idea of comfort that we was talking about in Bible class this morning. Christ is teaching us here that if we abide in him, oh, keep that word in mind, abide, because abiding is important. If we abide in him, he will make us free from our sins. Therefore, in verse 36, he says that very thing. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, again, this is taken out of context so much. Well, Christ died for my sins so I can behave however I want to. That's false teachings. That is such a false idea. Because those sins and those iniquities that we do, that does not mean that we're in Christ anymore. What did you say? Did you say that my sins and my iniquities means that, that I'm, I'm no longer in Christ? That's exactly what I'm saying because that's exactly what God is teaching. So turn with me to Isaiah 59. I reference 59 verse 2 often, but we're going to read verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short 
that it cannot save, nor is ears, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. It'd be nice if that verse stopped, the chapter stopped there and the entire Bible stopped there. Again, God's just going to save everybody. That would be nice. But unfortunately, those who are going to be lost on Judgment Day, we got to read verse 2. But your iniquities, your sins, your things that are that, that's, that's displeasing in the eyes of God, your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Christ offers freedom. Christ offers it. We just have to come to it. We just have to put him on through baptism in Galatians 3.27. And we have to stop sinning. Because again, our sin and our iniquities have separated from our God. This is not referring to someone who is lost already, not having, having yet come to God, living in the world and the ways of the world, just like Brother Daniel read this morning in James chapter 4. The love of the world is sinful. We need to take notice of that. Christ offers us freedom. As we celebrate this freedom every single day. Yesterday is July the 4th. This is the day that the, that the United States declared their independence from Britain in 1776. We're a young country. We're a very young country. Compared to Christ's church. Compared, comparatively. We think about how long the church has been here. We think about how long this freedom has been going on. This freedom from sin. So if our sins and our iniquities separated them, the past tense of Isaiah, if it separated them from, from their God's sins, does that mean that Christ makes us free and we can still behave however we want to? Unfortunately not. And this verse just popped into my mind as I was speaking. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20. Mark back there, he's already ahead of me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. And again, we reference this verse often. The reason why I reference this often is to drive that point into our minds. To be able to not be in the world, behaving and loving of the world, being wrapped up in its sin and its snares and its toils. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Again, written to Christians. Those who have come to Christ, Christ offering them freedom, freedom from their sins. For if we sin willfully, in verse 26, after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Uh-oh. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So therefore, as we believed in Christ then, whenever we was immersed and baptized for the remission of sins, that means that we had to stay faithful unto him. That's exactly what it says. If we do not, we sin willfully. After we have received the knowledge of the truth, that, that sacrifice no longer remains for us. The opposite of that peace, that, op, that opposite of that encouragement that we're speaking of this morning, verse 27, because we know better. We've accepted Christ. We believed in Him. Then we went into the world and behaved like the world. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignations which will devour the adversaries. In verse 27. The outcome of living in sin. The outcome of not being free from your sins because you have went back to the world as so many choose to do. Sadly enough, 
giving up on Christ. They even did it in John 6 and verse 66. That number pops into my mind because those three sixes go into succession there. They're one by one by one. John 6 and verse 66 says this. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more after he offered them freedom from their sins. These were disciples. These were followers of Christ. They turned their back on Christ and went back to the world. How sad would that be? And we learn in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, that that judgment scene day is going to be sad. Because not everyone who says unto Christ, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But those, or he in the verse there, but those who do the will of God in heaven. Christ says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we can say, Lord, Lord, I'm spiritual, I'm a Christian, I, be I behave, but do we? I love God, do we? I love Jesus, do we? There's only one way that we can show our love to God. Show our love to Jesus Christ. We also find that in John 15, starting in verse 9. So as Christ offers us freedom, freedom from our sins, again, actions are required from us by living faithful, by continuously being abiding. That's why I said to put abide into your mind a few minutes ago, to continuously stay in Christ. John chapter 15, starting in verse 9. This is Jesus Christ speaking. He says this, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Well, before we move on to verse 10, you might ask yourself, well, how do I show my love to Christ? How do I do it? Do I just be a good person? Well, that's, part, that's kind of part of it. Do I... Do I treat one another as they would want to be treated? That's a whole other big part of it. There's a lot more. Christ gives it to us in a nutshell in verse 10. Listen to what he says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide, there's that word again, abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's what he says in verse 10. That's what he offers. That's what he instructs. Not only instructs, that's what he commands to abide. Now let's clarify the word abide. Abide means to stay in. To, to stay in. You live in your homes. You're, you're here this morning in a worship service or you, or you go to town and you go to the store. You actually leave your home. That's where you live. You abide in something, you're going to stay there. Abide. So when Christ instructs us to abide in his love, he means to stay there. Remember the uh, parable of unclean spirit? I refer him often as well because it happens today so much. The, the problem with that person and the problem with unclean spirit, they failed to put God into their heart. Oh, it was clean. They got rid of the sins. They straightened up their life, and they was trying their best to live a worldly life. They failed to put God into it. That sin came back, and seven more sins, those demons, came back, and he was worse off than when he first believed. Sound familiar? It sounds so familiar and it happens today so much. We have to keep Christ's commandments. And that's not just 
That's not just on Wednesday. That's not just on Sunday morning and Sunday night. That is a continual abide. It means to stay in Christ. Because you notice what he said. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, no one in this room, no everyone living upon this earth except Christ has been able to keep God's commandments. Christ was able to keep them perfectly. He died a sinner's death, yet he was sin-free. Folks, he died for your sins. He died so they may be remitted. He died so that you not be held accountable for them on judgment day is what he offers in John chapter 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Standing before God on judgment day, doing his will, abiding in Christ's love, hearing these wonderful words that only comes to those who are faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a master over many. That's what he says to those who are faithful. Enter into the joys of your Lord. Christ encourages our joy. He refers to our joy upon this earth and that our joy may be exceedingly full. As a child of God, knowing that you have salvation is a joyous thing. It's a comforting thing. We can know that we have salvation, folks. We can know without a shadow of doubt that we have salvation waiting for us. John reassures that in John chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. If and only if we're believing in Christ. If and only if we continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. How do we do that? By abiding in Christ's love. He offers us freedom. He offers us to not hear those horrible words, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. Let's turn there with me real quick. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. We referenced this just a few minutes ago. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, let's break verse 21 down real quick. I know I'm running out of time. But not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord. This means folks who think, them, think of themselves as spiritual. Remember the Jews this morning we referenced? They thought Abraham was their father. They thought God was their father. And Jesus declared it unto them. He showed it to them that, no, you're not doing the works of Abraham. Abraham's not your father. Then they changed it, right? So they said, God's our father. He says, now, as I proceeded forth from God, you should love me and you, you hate me. You can't, you can't accept me. Now keep in mind, this is a different set of Jews than the ones in John 8 and 31. These are the Jews. Some of the Jews believe Christ. Let's, let's make that clear. Some of them believe that Christ is the Messiah, and they believed in him. That believing is a continual walk in his way. Here we see not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that means that just because you're a child of God, 
and you falter, unrepented, you're going to hear condemnation. This is not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Are we following Christ? Have we taken up our cross and have we followed him? And that's daily. Have we done that? Verse 22, this is, this is a judgment scene. Many will say to me in that day, this is, this is the judgment day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? This is a person declaring to Christ, have I not been spiritual? Have I not done the things that you would have me to do? In their mind, they have. Remember those Jews that thought they was obeying, uh, obeying God? How about uh, Saul before his conversion and his name changed to Saul, uh, Paul, excuse me, Saul persecuted the church with a clear conscience until that point of the road to Damascus. Now he did; he wasn't converted on the road to Damascus a little bit later after he was, after he was immersed. Christ just came to him and said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" This is the same Paul that we learn so much from in the New Testament. Now we study from often the same man. He thought he was obeying God. He was not. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Let me ask you this before I progress, before I move on. What do we measure ourselves up with? What do we measure our work up? What do we measure our... Everyday walk of life. What do we measure our worship service with? Is it someone else's opinion? Is it someone else's word other than God? Because Jesus, does he not say in John 8, 32, he says you shall know the truth. Folks, the truth is the word. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free from your sins. Now this is someone who has yet to do so in 22. Because listen to verse 23. 23 will be something terrifying to hear. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now this depart is the opposite of salvation. Salvation means the saving from the fall. That's what salvation means. Whenever Christ says to these individuals, he says unto them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness, they're going to have to endure the fall. We made reference to that this morning. Folks, it's hell. It's a place designed for Satan, all the false prophets, and all those followers of Satan himself. Those whom he hath his hooks in, those who have disobeyed God, walked in the world, lovers of the world, and disobedient to God's word. All of them. As we are still in Matthew 7, advance back just a little bit in verses 13 through 14. We made reference to that straight and narrow gate, right? We also made reference to that wide and broad gate. We're going to see it right here in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Christ instructs his children, you and I, everybody, everywhere, enter by the narrow gate. What wonderful instructions. Enter by the narrow gate. What? The narrow gate? What are you talking about the narrow gate? He clarifies. For wide in is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by in it. 
So many folks are going to hear those horrible words in verse 23. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That wide and broad gate. Christ says, enter by the narrow gate. So verse 14 refers to that narrow gate. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. Oh, and there are few who find it. Few. Therefore, there's only going to be a handful of folks, comparatively speaking, who are going to hear those wonderful words. Enter into the joys of your Lord. That's salvation. That's living faithful to the, to the point of death. Have we done that? Now this lesson is to encourage you to know that salvation is waiting for you. Whether baptism is needed, washing your sins away and beginning your spiritual walk. Or have you done so? And you took in that short walk with Satan. You took in that short act of loving the world instead of loving Christ. We can turn away. We can turn away from those iniquitous acts that separates us from our God so his eyes and his ears is turned back open unto us through his Son. Now when I say that, I'm going to add this one more. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Are we ready to come back to Jesus through our repentance? Are we ready to come to Jesus through baptism? Does that need to happen this morning? Why don't we do so as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation?